0: The scripture this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that through seeing they may not see Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. I'm really excited to get back into the book of of Luke here, getting back into the life and teachings of Jesus, picking up where we had left off before our Christmas series. And I'm really excited about starting off where we left off because uh, here in the beginning of Luke chapter 8, we have Jesus really giving us a great teaching that helps us continue to have this new year in perspective. I feel like, you know, this, you know, we're still a couple weeks into 2022, and collectively, we're still hopefully, you know, considering the past, we're being reflective, but also looking to the, the year ahead and, and being planful and mindful of those things. Well, here in this teaching, Jesus kind of gives us a way to do that spiritually. We have a very famous parable, which is really a short story with a spiritual truth, very famous teaching to help us consider these things. It's the parable of the sower which is uh, classically referred to as. And here in this parable, Jesus gives us kind of a a way of taking a spiritual assessment for wherever we're at on our spiritual journey. So if you're new to looking at Jesus and his claims, uh, Jesus has something to say to you. If you have been following Jesus for a short while, you've recently put your faith in Jesus, Jesus has something through this parable to speak to you. If you've been following Jesus for many years, this text has something to say to you. And what I love also is it doesn't just give us categories for understanding where we each can fall spiritually, but Jesus through this teaching also invites us to take a next step spiritually. So at, a, at the beginning of the year, while we're still thinking about, like, things that we can do financially or in terms of our career, in terms of relationships, different improvements, next steps, in those senses, Jesus here gives us the way, gives us an invitation to think about these things spiritually. So I want to turn that to, uh, uh, together with you in this text here, but first, uh, let's let let's pray. Father, uh, we are starting off uh, to another interesting year here uh, with Omicron and all that's going on uh, on there, and, and, and so, Lord, we just, as ever place ourselves into your hands. Uh, I want to pray, especially for those who are tuning in online uh, this week, uh, having been on the other side of the camera myself in these situations, I pray that you would help them, help all of us here here as well in person, uh, not, not be distracted, uh, but would you please give us each your spirit to understand what it is you have in front of us. We long to be uh, touched by you, and, and to grow in you. So, Father, would you use this famous teaching that you, that you uh, spoke 2,000 years ago but have preserved for us today? Would you, would you use your spirit to speak to us through it today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so actually, before we get to the parable, I want to look at this really cool little description of Jesus' ministry in these first few verses because they're, they're, they're too cool to, to kind of just skip on by. Luke, the writer uh, here, tells us that Jesus traveled from town to town, uh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the 12, that is the apostles were with him, and also some women, he highlights, who had been cured, Uh, Mary, called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is incredibly fascinating to me. I mean, remember, this was written 2,000 years ago in the... Near East, okay? Uh, This is in a time in which, sadly, culturally speaking, women were considered second rate or or inferior to the men. Uh, It was just sad times. I mean, just different teachers that would go around would actually, many of them wouldn't even talk to the women because they were considered, well, they just don't need to hear, they can't learn it or whatever. Uh, They would also, women were also uh, barred from giving testimony in courts of law because their testimony was considered invalid. I mean, that's the times we're talking about. And yet Luke here not only highlights the fact that they were involved in Jesus' ministry, he straight up explains that they were bankrolling it. Right? I mean, the 12 apostles and Jesus these women were helping financially make that possible. How is that not fascinating? And what's incredible about it, and there's a couple of things we can just real quickly hit, hit upon before we move on to the, the parable, is for one thing, uh, this would not have been written. Luke would not have included this if it had not actually happened, okay? Think about this. this. This has to give further evidence just that to the validity and authenticity of the scriptures because if Luke wanted to make the case back then uh, in that cultural time, he would not have included a detail like this because that detail, culturally speaking, could have only hurt his credibility, could have only acted as a disqualifier in that cultural context. And yet Luke decided to include it. Now, what's more is he was just trying to very faithfully say, hey, you need to see this, I want to highlight this. But perhaps even more fascinating and more important about this text is it's very clearly God just wholeheartedly saying, I am I am honored by and I move through the ministry of women. I mean, back then, I was radical. Today, it's important to hear this is an important thing that God wants us to understand—that He works powerfully, is honored by the the, the incredible. Ministry of women. I know this firsthand. Uh, you just had saw sydney up on the stage. I'm married to someone who's very strong. I come to, came out of the corporate world, just with uh, having done incredible things there. Now utilizing her gifts in the in the ministry uh, more vocationally. Uh, this church is obviously filled with many uh, of you women who are doing an incredible job. But we just can't pass over the fact that God is just from the beginning. It said, I want to and I'm going to work through women in powerful ways. It can't be underscored enough. But on to the parable, we see here four categories where each and every one of us fall spiritually. Okay, so we're going to break these downs, and we're going to see how Jesus really invites us each wherever we are to take a next step. Okay, so the first category, or maybe what we can do is utilize the language of this parable and talk about the first soil, because that's kind of what Jesus is setting up here. We see in verse 5, he says, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. This seed, this, this soil, it found that the seed was trampled on and the birds ate it up, okay? So the first category where we can fall spiritually, the first soil is along the path, okay? So Jesus would go on in a few verses here to really explain the meaning of this text very explicitly. In verse 11, he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The, the seed is the word of God. So when he's talking about this seed that fall, fell along the, the path that was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. He's talking about people who didn't believe, if you see in verse 12, it won't be on the screen, but it says people who didn't believe and therefore weren't saved or didn't come into a forever relationship with God. In other words, Jesus is saying this kind of person, this person where they're at spiritually is they hear God's word, but they don't really have an open heart to it. Their hearts, their minds aren't aren't really open to hearing it for what it is. Uh, This reminds me of Uh, A couple of friends, but one in particular that I had back in my undergraduate days. Uh, We would get into a lot of conversations, this group of friends and myself, and we would just talk about spiritual things. They knew I was a Christian, so they'd, they'd ask a lot of questions. And, you know, they even freely admitted the fact that oftentimes their questions were really trying to see if they could break down the faith, tear it down, that kind of thing. A lot of their questions were to the tune of, how can you believe if, and insert, Objection, right? How is it possible for Christians to believe this if, and then enter, and, and fill in the blank there. And so they'd ask a lot of questions, and then me and actually my roommate and I, we'd, we'd, you know, try our best to answer the questions. And actually, after answering a lot of these questions, a lot of the times for these friends, they'd actually say, oh, okay, uh, you know, I, I could see how that, that makes sense. That's, that's reasonable. And then they'd ask another question, and we'd try our best to answer the question, and they'd say something to the same effect Oh, okay, I could see how you'd believe that. Okay. And after a while, after questions after questions, and, you know, doing our best to answer, and I'm not trying to say we we answered perfectly or wrapped everything up in a bow, you know, we're still talking about things of faith and that nature. But, you know, coming to the place where time and time again, they say, okay, I could see that. I eventually came to the place where I was like, asking them, I said, you know, we've answered a lot of these questions, and these are really stimulating uh, conversations, and, you know, we've gotten to the place, you know, on your own, you know, regard, you've gotten to the place where you thought, okay, I could see how that would be true. I could see how you'd believe that. Um, is, is there anything we could say? Is, is there any question that you could have answered that would actually bring you to the place where you, you would believe that you would receive this? And I remember one friend in particular, he thought about it for a second. He said, you know, now that you mention it, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think there's a question you can answer that would actually make me believe or, or receive this. And while that saddened me for any number of reasons, I also really appreciated the, the candor The honesty, just just saying that? It seems to me that's the type of person Jesus is describing here. Someone who hears God's word. Maybe looks into it, maybe thinks that they have an open heart, but like that friend of mine just actually didn't really. Like it was just no. Uh, At one point, Jesus here in verse 8, it's like he's audibly sighing. He like articulates this uh, sigh that he has. He says, Let whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He's like, would you hear? Farmer's out sowing the seed. Are you going to receive it? Elsewhere, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And whoever opens the door, I will enter and eat with them and they with me. I love that verse for a number of reasons. But one of those being, it, it doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, I stand at the door with like a blow horn. You know, just making real loud noise, obnoxiously. Just, or I stand at the door with a sledgehammer. I'm going to bust it. I'm coming in whether you like it or not. He says, I stand at the door and knock. I'm here. The the tapping is happening. The the farmer is sowing seed. The question is, will you receive it? Or will you look at it, even before that, with an open heart, with an open mind? You know, some of my friends down the years have said, well, if God just showed me a big miraculous sign, then I'd believe. And you know, sometimes God works that way. I've actually seen him work that way. I've actually seen him work that way in certain friends who had basically said as much and yet still on the other side of that big, frankly, miraculous thing, they didn't actually begin to follow him. I've, I've seen all the permutations of it, but Jesus says, I, what I'm most interested in doing is just casting out the seed, knocking on the door, giving you what you need to, to receive it. Will you receive it? You know, the scriptures talk about how God gives us just overwhelming evidence, if you will, for instance, through creation, like just the, the miracle of life that we're here, the beauty of it, relationships, let alone things like how we came out of something, it couldn't have just been from nothing. And you talk about the fine-tuning of the universe. You talk about morality. You talk about all these just intricate things such that we're here. The Bible talks about how creation reveals a creator. But the Bible also talks about how God reveals himself through his word. He makes himself available to say, "Here, here I am. Here's what I have for you through his word. The farmer is sowing his seed. And so what I would say to you is if you're in this place where you're checking out the claims of Jesus... Uh, can you do it with an open heart? Can you do it with an open mind? And what I'd, what I'd gently suggest you do is there's no ba- better way to look into this than to look into the life of Jesus himself. Because at one point, Jesus says, if you've seen me, he's talking to one of his disciples, you've seen the Father. Meaning if, if you look into the life of Jesus, the stories that we have preserved, his teachings, all the rest of it, and you get to know him and his heart, how he interacts with people, how he cares for people, how he works with people. And we get to see the, the heart and mind of God himself. And, and the claim there is if you understand him, you understand God. And, and then the question then becomes, does that seem reasonable? Does he seem reasonable to you? Does, do, do his claims seem reasonable? Now, at different points, the objection might be, well, what about all those miracles? I'm not sure I can believe that, David. That's not easy to believe. Well, okay, but what's the claim here? Part of, the, part of his claim is that he's son of God. And son of God has to kind of be able to do miracles if he's God, is it not? Alvin Plantanga, a professor out of Michigan, uh, uh, wrote a book called Warranted Christian Belief. And it's a really fascinating uh, book. But in that, he basically, his thesis is essentially, when you look at all the major Western philosophies, if you look at religions even, if, if you look at the evidence, it's actually by far easiest, he says, to believe in Christianity, if you just, uh, over above all other things, if you allow for one thing. And that is the supernatural if, if Jesus is God and he is revealing who God is and he's able to do what he's doing, can you look at his claims, understand who he is with an, with an open heart and with an open mind? And if, and if you do so and it makes sense, can you, can you receive it? I'd encourage you to do that. Maybe this year if you're checking him out. Look, the, the premise behind this thought, of course, is if this is true, which obviously we believe here at Current is to be true, it's too good not to look into. It's too important not to look into. So I encourage you, if that's where you are, a, to look into Jesus, to understand him. If you have any questions about it, or we can be assistance to you. We have different resources, that sort of thing. One next step for you I'd encourage you to do is to read one of the gospel accounts. You can read through Luke and just ask these questions. Uh, that's the first soil. That's the first spiritual category we can fall into, and it's next step. Uh, number two, we see in verses 6 and 13. Jesus goes on to say, Some seed fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Then, when he goes on to elaborate the meaning with the disciples, he says this Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So, of course, the second soil second spiritual category that we can fall into is rocky ground. These are people it seems to me who have made recent decisions to follow Jesus. Jesus says they receive it once with joy, but there's also this sober warning that they could they can fall fall away. I love being around new Christians, Christians who have recently made a decision to follow Jesus. And one of the reasons for that is because there tends to be a lot of joy associated with it, which by the way, there ought to be a lot of joy associated whenever you're a Christian about these wonderful promises. They're amazing, but when they're fresh, there's like a palpable joy that that is often there. It often results in in, in someone saying, I just got to tell anybody and everybody, which again, all Christians ought to be doing all the time, not just when you're a young Christian. I love being around it because, and it's a wonderful, wonderful joy there, but but Jesus gives this warning. He says, you got to make sure if you're new to the faith, that your faith takes root. Take care to help the faith take root. And um, it makes me think of of newlyweds and newlywed love. Uh, You know, it's the classic stereotype of newlyweds to be like infatuated with one another, you know, uh... Oh, what's that? It's coming to me right now. It's on my notes. You know, Bambi, Twitter, Twitterpated. You remember that? It's like this whole idea of like young, young birds and love and that sort of thing. And there's a beauty to that. It's to be celebrated. I mean, if you're not groaning, you can at least appreciate that's a beautiful thing, that they have this love for one another. But one of the things that counselors are trained to do, especially with newlywed couples in like premarital counseling or that sort of environment, is to help them understand that, hey, that's not all that love's meant to be, Right? without like bursting the, the, the bubble, so to speak. It's like helping them understand that love needs to also mature because you know, in the honeymoon period, we even have a phrase talking about it, when that, when that time is over, like what's gonna, what's gonna remain? What's gonna develop? How's this love going to mature? Now again, newlywed lover, if we talk about that, uh, is a wonderful thing. Infatuated type love is wonderful. The Bible kind of talks about this with the Greek word eros. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's to be celebrated in the right context, and all of that. But then there's also these other types of love. For instance, the, the the best of all loves, the most virtuous, the Greek word agape, this self-sacrificial love, a love that endures over time. Think of it this way: if you look at a newlywed and you see them just like all googly eyes over each other, if you're not groaning, but you think that's wonderful, it's like that's there's a beauty there. Okay, but then you also may see an elderly couple. Let's say they have, you know, both have gray hair, they're and and you see them holding hands, and you're just like. Hey, I don't know, whoever you are, you realize there's something special there. There's something really beautiful there. What is that? Well, it's just to say they had been through life and their love has endured, right? Because life being what it is throws hardships at us, throws challenges. There's lots of suffering in life. And for a couple to endure that and have the love that's only strengthened because of all of that, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus is saying, when you first put your faith in Jesus, hey, that's wonderful. It's it's a time of joy. Celebrate that, but take care to put down roots. I know, and I love this about current. We have many of you who have recently made decisions to follow Jesus. I love that. Jesus says, take care to put down roots. Can you do that? What would that look like? I mean, even as you kind of think about the year ahead, what, what could that look like? You know, in, in one of these verses, it talks about how we need moisture to kind of like nourish the seed. Like, what, what, what could you do to provide water for the seed? Obviously, spending time in God's word is kind of important. It's, it's the source of everything we're talking about here. Spending time in God's Word with other Christians is a great way to do it too because you can together think about it. We're getting ready to start current groups, our our Bible studies uh, in a few weeks time. I encourage you to check one of those out. Those are a great time to not only study God's Word but really ask together and articulate for ourselves. This is what I think he's saying to me. This is what I think I'm gonna do as a result in the rest of it. That's the second spiritual category or soil. Here's the third in verse seven. Some seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants and then in his elaboration he said in verse 14 the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries riches and pleasures and they do not mature so the third soil we see here of course is among the thorns and Jesus has a very sobering thought to for these Christians he says they do not mature in their faith or their walk with the lord Uh, Let me ask you the question for those Christians here today. uh, Do any of you feel like your faith with the Lord, your relationship with the Lord has stagnated at all? Do you feel like it's stagnated in any way? Jesus is saying if that's the case, there very well might be a reason related to some of these things he's highlighting here that are choking the life out of us. Look in uh, verse 14, it says, the seed among the thorns stands for those who hear, and then check this out, but as they go on their way, they are choked. Uh, that's a really interesting phrase that I think Jesus includes here to say that, hey, as life is happening, as they're doing their thing, as they're in relationship with God, these things just kind of creep up. And they don't even yet realize it. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, farming is a great example, or gardening is a great example, because you plant, and then the weeds just like, wait, how'd that get there? You know, you have, to, you have to kind of deal with it. As they are on their way, as they go along their way, these things come up and, and choke them. Meaning, it's very easy to have these things happening in our lives, detracting from our relationship with God, blunting our impact for his kingdom without even recognizing it. And he calls out three ways that we need to give careful thought and consideration to that can easily choke, choke, choke us out, choke the life from us. Number one, he talks about life's worries. Are any of you especially worried about things right now? It feels like a time and age where it's just really easy to be overcome with worry, wouldn't you say? There's a lot of things to to worry about. And real quickly, to make a distinction, uh, the, the Scriptures do not teach that we ought never give care or consideration to things. Like, no, you need to give care and consideration. When it's talking about not worrying, it's talking about just being overcome with anxiety. To the place where worry is like is is life sucking, for for you, and, and perhaps through you for other, for, for, uh, for others, and there, there's really things that are, are problematic about uh, worrying, and I, I want to highlight two. One, is to say to the Christian, when when we worry, we're not trusting God, ultimately, right? Because if we're worrying to the point of like ah, oh, it's not going to work out, it means that we're not ultimately believing the promise that God's working out all things. For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We're, we're challenging that. Otherwise, we'd have a sense of peace about us. But then the other thing that's problematic about uh, being overly worrisome is the fact that it has a choking effect. Have you ever been in a room with somebody who a, is a worry pers- a person, worrier and it just has a real kind of dampening effect on the room? You know, the mood just kind of shifts, or maybe the way that they kind of are talking or out of the, the way that they talk is just in, in a way it's direct, directed at others. You could just, you could, you could feel it. The thing about worrying, and really all these categories we're going to hit here, is it's especially insidious. It just creeps up without our even knowing it. And it's really easy for, and i just say this especially to Christians, it's really easy to kind of write off worry as no big deal or not a deal at all. But Jesus is saying it's something that chokes out life chokes out our relationship with God, chokes out life in our relationship with others, as we can't be more like Jesus to others. It has a very uh, severe choking effect. The other way that the other thing that can really have a choking effect on us, Jesus calls out, is life's riches. Life's riches. Riches can stunt our spiritual growth, our relationship with God, and it can impact it could, and our impact for God's kingdom. And, you know, the reality is you don't have to be religious to understand that the pursuit of riches can have a choking effect on our lives. And, you know, it's, it's really crazy to me to think that if Jesus was saying this back then and it was true 2,000 years ago in that culture, how much more true is it today here in the Silicon Valley where we essentially live in the richest time of human history and the richest place on earth? I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. There's a number of months back now. You remember this when we were all just kind of collectively poking fun at the billionaires in their space race and just the whole narrative out there was just like, how could these guys be spending money? It's insane. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Are we really all that much different? I mean, we could, like, it's easy to kind of compare ourselves to kind of the billionaires and just be like, that's insane. But like, what about the people in the world who can who barely like live on a dollar a day type deal? And they look at what we have so many ways to pursue the making of money and spending of money that we couldn't even dream of. We couldn't even fathom just 50 years ago in our own culture. There was a time, this Christmas break, if I could share with you, this was a Christmas break where I was just like, I was just spending all this time researching a product and reading all the reviews to try to figure out the best one I could get. And I had this meta moment of like, what am I doing after a while? I'm just like, I'm spending so much time reading all these reviews and counter reviews. And, and I, I didn't use these terms because I, I didn't have this on my mind back then. But it was essentially like it was, it was having this choking effect on me. As I was just thinking about all these things and just the time I was spending, let alone the emotional energy that was probably going directed to that, and all the rest of it, that might seem like more of a trivial example. Maybe it's not. But then, think about things like the pursuit of the next promotion, the next level of gain in the stock in your stock portfolio, the next acquisition. Uh, riches in this area tend to be associated with things like position and title or having more responsibility at work. Which, by the way are wonderful things. We're not knocking those things. We're not saying don't pursue those things. But if those become the ultimate thing or the center of our lives, uh, it's something that can very easily, without our even recognizing it, choke the life out of us, choke our relationship with God and with, with others as God would have it. The third way Jesus calls out that can have a choking effect on us is, is life's pleasures, he says. And really similar to riches, you think about the pleasures that are available to us in our day and age, uh, compared to even just like 50 years ago or 10 years ago. It's, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. Uh, there was a couple of years ago that I was in Las Vegas. Uh, first, uh, the first time I went out to Las Vegas, uh, Cindy's family was having a reunion. It's a great place where we could meet up and go see shows and do all the rest of it. And I remember walking down the Strip, and you, I didn't even have to be on the Strip to, to experience this, but walking down the Strip, and it's not like I hadn't been to big cities before. I mean, I've lived in some big cities. But like Las Vegas was this like amplified to 100. I just remember walking down and just with all the lights, and with all the noise and the advertisements and the people and the car no- i mean, it's just everything. It was like sensory overload. I had a moment where I was like, "Okay, if the Lord called me here, I could—I could, I could live here." But it's like I don't think I could live here. It was just—it was just too much. I was just like—I was like—I could barely walk down the street for one night, without without just feeling like over. We have that kind of same sensory overload, that access to, like, pleasure or whatever, however you want to say it, just at our fingertips, through the web, through, through social media or whatever it might be. I mean, I almost have the same meta thought when I'm, like, going through trying to find a movie on Netflix. So many movies. An hour later, I haven't watched anything, but I know a lot more about the selection of movies. It's, it's crazy. I mean, you think about all the different things that we could pleasure. I mean, it probably doesn't surprise you, but the use of pornography has gone way up. During the pandemic, it's skyrocketed. And you know, while Christians have for years been talking about the effects of pornography and how it can, it can it impact us, have a choking effect, to use our language, secular agencies and, and speakers and people are now pointing that out and saying it warps how we see sex, it warps how we see relationships, and the rest of it. Uh, it probably also doesn't surprise you, but substance abuse went way up, including alcohol, just like skyrocketed during the pandemic, now, we're not saying alcohol is in itself bad, but, you know, all these different, I mean, even Netflix, like that's just like, if we just start getting consumed, whatever we might go down, it, there's a real danger of, of having a choking effect in our lives. with a relationship with the Lord without even realizing it, with others in our lives. And Jesus is warning us when it comes to life's worries, life's riches, life's pleasures, we need, to, we need to take stock. We need to, we need to look at them and, and address them. So let me ask you, Uh, Christians here uh, what might be choking your relationship with God and perhaps others right now and I would say let's really emphasize and stress the fact that these are things based on how Jesus is saying it that we likely don't necessarily see in ourselves it's hard to recognize and let me also say it's real easy to hear lists like this and think about the other person or another person in our life? This is a, a self-assessment that we ought to do for ourselves. Is there something that might be choking in your life that you could, you could think about that's preventing you from striving for God's kingdom and his righteousness? First, do you struggle with life's worries, life's riches, life's pleasures? I was thinking about this this week, and it occurred to me that I, wa- I wonder if our personality types make us more susceptible to certain things here, Okay. Um, I'm no no philosopher or whatever, but just bear with me for a second. Are you guys familiar with the Enneagram? Uh, It's kind of the latest trending for like the decade of personality assessment tools. It gives it kind of a number to to ascribe to a personality type. So for instance, if you're a one and you're a perfectionist, somebody who just has to have everything just kind of works really hard to have everything right, I imagine if that's you, you probably tend to be more susceptible to life's worries, Everything just kind of being right and, and, and having that in your grasp. If you are a type three or the, quote, achiever, uh, somebody who has just the real core desire to accomplish or succeed, I'm guessing you are probably more susceptible to the temptation of, of overly pursuing life's riches and, and the choking effects of that or having the accomplishments or status that goes along with it. If you're a type seven or an adventurer, always looking to have the next fun thing, Uh, I I imagine you're probably more susceptible to life's pleasures and its effects. But the point is, we all, all of us, each of us, are susceptible to all these things. Will we give care to, Jesus is asking, addressing these things, thinking about their effect and and turning towards him with them? Those are the three spiritual categories of soil. Here's the fourth and final, verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And then in his elaboration, he says, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Of course, this soil is good soil that yields a crop. This is the person whose life has impacted others in a positive and meaningful way over time. This is the type of person... If they hadn't, if, if they haven't, excuse me, if they hadn't been in your life, you wouldn't be the person you are today, or you wouldn't be experiencing the many blessings that God has given to you through them, uh, through your relationship. And specifically, this person isn't somebody who just comes alongside you relationally, or maybe helps you financially when you need to, but is ultimately somebody who's come alongside you spiritually and pointed you towards Jesus and his way, a person who really embodies God's kingdom and his values, and understands, by the way, that there's a harvest to be had as they invest in others, in caring them, caring for them, loving them, serving them, hoping that that will produce a crop then in others still. In short, this person is a multiplier, right? They yield a crop. And in verse 15, Jesus says specifically, they have a noble and good heart. They hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, Produce a crop. That's saying that they are spiritually mature. I read a book a few years back uh, by a Christian pastor and author who made the distinction between people who are spiritually warm and spiritually mature. Okay, both wonderful uh, types of people and traits, but people he made a distinction between those who are spiritually warm and those who are spiritually mature. Spiritually warm people, he basically said, are people who are trying their best with what's in front of them, with what life. Brings at them to follow the Lord faithfully. So if things come up in life and they, they tend to see that God's speaking to them, trying to teach them, they, they try their best to go, okay, I want to I be faithful and, and do that. So if they sense the Lord's trying to teach them about humility, they're trying to humble themselves, doing the work on that. If they're, if they're sensing that God is teaching them to be more generous, they're trying to think about ways that they can give and, and, and all of the rest of it. Um, and by the way, it, I'm, that, there's a key phrase in there. Say, we're saying they try their best, right? Nobody's perfect. And the fact is, spiritually warm people, when they, when they mess up, they will do the best they can faithfully to turn away from their mess up. Seek forgiveness. Seek reconciliation. And try their best to, to follow the Lord from that point on. But that's a spiritually warm person. Somebody who, in light of whatever life's coming after them, they understand God's word and they do their best to try to follow God faithfully. The spiritually mature person is somebody who has been doing that, those very things over the long haul same person, but has been doing it over the long, that's spiritual maturity, this guy kind of says, and there's a distinction there, is there not? They're, bo- they're both wonderful things, we, I think both things that Christians want to strive for, but the person who is spiritually mature has done it through life, and again, to remind ourselves, life being what it is, is throwing hardships at us suffering challenges and all the rest of it and yet this person has remained faithful these people have remained faithful and by persevering jesus said they've produced a crop at the risk of embarrassing them a little bit there's a couple that i think about in this church when i read this text ed is one of our elders at the church we are so blessed to have him as one of our elders michelle we are so blessed to have her gifts uh, in, the, in the many ways that she sur- serves and, and cares for, for this church. We are so blessed as a church to have God's harvest through them. As a little kid, I grew up around the dinner table. My parents got to do ministry with them and, earlier on. And whenever things kind of came up, especially if like, and they were talking through church things and something came up, especially if the legal matter, because Ed's, Ed's a lawyer. Uh, and, and I just knew that that meant my dad was calling Ed McDonald. He going to call Ed McDonald because he needed to get some insight or advice or whatever it might be. And I, just the way that my parents talked about Ed and Michelle, I just understood, even though I had never met them, I understood that these are people who just faithfully chose to follow the Lord as best they can, uh, trying to put orient their lives around God's kingdom. And then the year after Current launched, Ed and Michelle, after much discernment, prayerfully decided to switch gears and invest in Current, a, a startup, which, by the way, many of you in this room have done. That was a a big shift to do. We're so grateful that they decided, how they serve with the kids, how they serve in groups, how how they serve as an elder, all in the midst of life throwing challenges and continuing to throw life challenges. I want to live a life like the Ed and Michelle's of the world. I want to be the kind of person that is investing to have a manifold return on the seed that was sown into me. Because what we're talking about is when that happens, we are not just impacting the here and now. We're impacting, Jesus says, all of eternity. The question then becomes, how do we do that? How can we be part of that? And, and that's what's so incredible about this text, this, this parable, this teaching. It's like Jesus is just laying out it all right here. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He's saying, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, if you're checking out the claims of Jesus you're new to the faith, you've been following him for a number of years, whatever that might be, there's always a next step. There's always a next step or opportunity to grow or opportunity for eternal impact. But here's, it it seems to me, is a key in this parable. It starts in our hearts. I think really that's what the the parable underneath it all is trying to get at. This, This parable is classically known as the parable of the sower, but the thing about that is that's not really Jesus' emphasis in this teaching, right? I mean, the, the farmer goes out and sows, right? But the sower's going to sow, right? And the seeds are going to fall. I and mean, that's, that's kind of a given, as Jesus tells the story. What's not a given and what Jesus really highlights are the soils, the different types of the soil. And he says, are you going to have the noble heart? Are you going to hear it, retain it, and persevere for it? I really think this text is saying, whatever comes at us in life, are we going to have a heart posture of saying, God, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to retain that. I want to persevere in that, and do that over time. And the promise is, we will bear fruit. Uh, that's really incredible. I mean, if there's anything I know about life, it's that life is short, and life is precious. And if there's anything worthwhile, it's to invest in these things. Because hey, there's a lot of fruit to have be have here and now, but there's all the more to be have, if this is all true, which we believe to be true, into eternity. And this is what Jesus invites you and me into. So how can we be a part of this? How can we take a next step? It could be any number of ways that you could think about, pray about, perhaps even during this last song or, or this afternoon or into this week. But what might it look like for you to assess where you're at spiritually and take a next step with the Lord? Could it mean looking at his claims, looking at the life of Jesus with an open heart? Could it mean reading his word as a new follower, trying to put down roots in it, really trying to to make it your own so that you're following him and beginning to persevere in it? Can you connect yourself to other Christians so that you're talking about it with others and you're having accountability that way and you're, you're sharpening each other and the rest of it? Can it be looking to work on things that might be choking your relationship with God, choking your relationship with others? Could it be investing in others? I mean I love that about Jesus. He's saying, "Hey, I want you to produce a fruit a man like 100 times what was sown in you." And Jesus is straight up doing that while he's talking about it. Remember the first few verses where he says he's spending time with the 12, spending time with these women. He's 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 investing. He's doing what he's he's doing as he's preaching it. This is the way to have not only here and now impact but eternal impact. Do you want to be a part of that? Jesus invites us into it. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you came uh, to teach us the way of your kingdom, that you had and have each of us in mind uh, when you were teaching this text, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, that there's there's always a next step for you, uh, towards you. So, Father, we we pray that you would help us see these truths and let them shape our 2022. Uh, To those who are checking out your claims, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them and open their hearts to you. To those who are new, newly followers of yours, would you would you help them keep a joy and passion for you, as well as, as to put down roots and find nourishment in you and your word? To those of you, uh, to those who have been following you for a while, would you help each of us not be choked out by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and would you help us be quick to ask uh, and receive your forgiveness, that we might ultimately be the good soil that you describe here? Would you please help us to be noble? and good of heart, hearing your word, retaining it, and by persevering, p- producing a crop. We pray this in the name of the one who persevered for us, in the name of Jesus, amen.